Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 384. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And today, the theme of grief continues, although we're approaching it a little bit differently this time. It's interesting. My guest today is coming back to Therapy Chat for her second time. First time was amazingly over four years ago. And one of the things that's really interesting about this and why I'm posting it right now is that my guest, like myself, is a therapist who's currently working while dealing with personal grief. And she's not even the only therapist I know who is grieving the loss of her mother right now. She's not the only pregnant therapist I know who has recently lost an attachment figure. And it just kind of feels important to say that because we are therapists who are humans dealing with the same concerns that our clients are dealing with. We're under an incredible amount of stress, like everyone, and we're trying to help other people who are going through their own incredible amounts of stress too. There's something about talking with people who really understand what that feels like that helps the healing process and humanizes the therapist. No more sitting and thinking that therapists are perfect and have everything all figured out. I think probably in the beginning of our development process as a therapist, that's what we want people to think. That's what we think people are supposed to, how we are supposed to be perceived. 
by our clients, but perception is really important and perspective is really important. And that's something that Rachel and I talked about a lot today in this conversation. So let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Altvader. Rachel Altvader, PsyD, RPTS, which means she's a registered play therapist and a supervisor for registered play therapists, is an award-winning, pioneering expert, leader, researcher, international trainer, author, and supervisor in the field of play therapy. She's a licensed psychologist in Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia, and she holds national certifications as a registered play therapist supervisor and certified clinical trauma professional. Rachel is the owner of Creative Psychological Health Services, co-owner of North Star Creations, past president of the Maryland, D.C. Association for Play Therapy, editorial advisory board member for the International Journal of Play Therapy, advisory board member for Digital Play Therapy, and Ascendant VR, clinical consultant and content creator for Cognitive Leap, and instructor for Hopscotch. Yes, she does a lot and has done a lot, but you'll see she's just a regular person like you and I as we're talking. Rachel authored the book Perspective, Contemplating the Complexities of Our Realities, which she's going to talk about in our conversation today and talk about how that book can help us understand ourselves. And she published her research in the International Journal of Play Therapy on technology use in play therapy. And she's a contributing author in numerous scholarly texts on implementing digital technologies in play therapy practice. What you'll feel in this conversation is just what a warm human Rachel is and how she's grappling with the big questions just like we all are. I hope you will enjoy my interview with Rachel Altvader. And if you have any feedback for me about this episode, I would love to hear it. You can find me on Instagram at Therapy Chat Pod or at Trauma Chat Pod or at BA Trauma Healing, which is my practice Instagram page. You can also find me on TikTok at Therapy Chat Pod. And I'm also on Facebook at Therapy Chat Pod or at Laura LCSWC. Thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. I'm so grateful for you. Love being able to bring this show to you and love that you listen. So until next time, be well. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so excited to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Altvader. Rachel, thank you so much for being my guest again for the second time on Therapy Chat today. I am so excited to be here with you and everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your time, for your energy, and for your connection. Yeah, I'm really happy too. It's been more than four years since the last time we talked, which in a way it feels even longer and in a way it feels more recent. But I think the whole 2020 to 2023 time is like a time warp in itself for me at least. Yeah. Not just for me, obviously. <laughs> I think that you I know, know that <laughs> sometimes it's like people have different ideas of like when the pandemic was, but to me, that's kind of the time. And, and I feel like we're beginning to kind of come out of it and shake our heads and look around and go, Oh, what's, what's been happening. So I'm really excited to talk about you and you have a new book out that I can't wait to discuss. But before we get into the book, Let's just start off with you telling our audience 
a little bit about who you are and some, as many as you can get in the, the amazing things that you do. <laughs> so I like to start by saying, hello, I'm Rachel, Dr. Rachel Altbader, but you can just call me Rachel. And I'm going to introduce myself as a human first and foremost, because I think that's going to be the message that we're going to continue to come back to throughout this whole talk today in one way, shape or form. So I like to say that first. I am a human, an imperfectly flawed human. I do, of course, know that the professional aspects are also important. So I will <laughs> I'll sprinkle a little bit of that out there. I'm a licensed psychologist based out of Maryland. I own a group private practice called Creative Psychological Health Services. We have two locations, one right outside of Baltimore and one in Frederick, which are different areas in Maryland. And I just say I sprinkle myself everywhere. I am very passionate about doing all kinds of different things within the field. I've mentored, supervised, trained. One of my major specialties within the field is digital play therapy. I conducted my dissertation research on incorporating technology in play therapy sessions. I realized that children were immersing themselves in these digital worlds. And I was curious to know how that impacted play therapy treatment because this was what they were comfortable with. So I have become an expert in the field in digital play therapy and I publish and as I was mentioning, train and do all kinds of fun, innovative things in that regard. So that's a big component of a lot of what I do. Yeah, a little sprinkle here, a little sprinkle there. But play therapy overall is really one of your major areas of focus, right? Yeah. Do you work with adults or children only? I do. Actually, it surprises people when I tell them that I have a pretty even balance now of children, teenagers, and adults. And a lot of the children and teenagers that I've worked with that are continuing supportive, humanistic-based therapies with me have, have grown up while I've provided services to them. And I've become an integral part of their world. And so, you know, children get older and become <laughs> young adults and adults. So, yeah, I actually see quite a bit of adults. And I think from the feedback that's been given, they tend to gravitate towards my services because of the desire to connect to their inner child. That's not the only reason, but I think that that is a component. There's a part of us that really could benefit from some additional connection our younger selves. And that comes out in the work. Yeah. Well, you know, that makes me think of something right away. Will you share, I guess, just how you see based on your experience and, and your, your perspective, if you will, <laughs> that word's going to come back. You'll, you'll be hearing that again and again in our conversation today. And if you, if you watch on video, you may see something there that also, <laughs> because that's the title of your book. But will you share your perspective on kind of that idea of like, you know, well, let me just say this. When I started in the field, before I went to grad school, I started out working in a sexual assault crisis center. And I thought at the time, and I was in my early 30s, when someone would say, why don't you use some colored pencils or markers and I'd be like, ah, that's for kids. That's I'm I'm not a kid. You know, I was very rejecting of like if I picked up a crayon, I'd be like, oh, if I'm not coloring with my kids, this is weird. Why am I doing this? But, you know, I also deeply knew inside somehow that so much of 
how I felt and how people that I was working with felt, because this is like, again, before grad school, I had training in trauma, but I didn't really have any training or understanding of attachment. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't realize or think about inner child. To me, that sounded corny. And I think a lot of people feel that way now. I don't anymore. But can you share what your perspective is about the connection with that idea of our inner child? Yeah. And I'm going to give a quick sidestep beforehand. And really, it's going to be in the form of a question to everyone listening. Where did you first absorb those messages? When did you start to believe that something was too childish? How come? I have an answer for you already. My inner child is shouting. Yes. Yes. I literally remember when I was five, definitely fully still 100% a child. I used to subscribe to Sesame Street magazine. (laughs) And I remember when it was time to renew, my parents said, do you want to continue receiving Sesame Street magazine? And I said, oh, that's too childish for me. And it was, I was really praised. Oh, you're so mature. You understand, you know, that that's too childish for you. And I think from then I was, that's probably just one example, but I was trying to be mature. And then when people would say you're so mature for your age, I would feel good about that. That made me, that was like, great. That was a lot of approval, even if it wasn't my parents, you know, other adults too. So, yep. Okay. Keep going with your question if you had more. (laughs) No, I mean, my heart immediately connected to your five-year-old self and felt sad. And that's not to say that your five-year-old self felt sad. I felt sad for your five-year-old self to feel the need to grow up so quickly. And what does that even mean to grow up? I mean, of course, for us to develop and grow, right? Like quite literally to grow up, we understand what that means. When it comes to our inner child, though, what does that really truly mean? How come we have to lose sight of the playful side of us, the things that bring us joy and passion and fulfillment? Don't we want to live in that space? It transforms throughout our life. It's going to look different for a five-year-old than it is for a 10-year-old, than it is for a 15-year-old, than it is for a 20-year-old and beyond, right? It's going to transform throughout our lives. How many times do we lose sight of the things that bring us so much passion and meaning, and then we live a mundane life that feels subpar? Yeah. So I think it's important for us to pause and ask ourselves, how come I think the things that I think and I feel the ways that I feel and I see things the way that I see? That definitely aligns with perspective. But I think, as you had mentioned, initially talking about inner child concepts, you had an initial reaction and that has transformed, right? And so the more that we learn and we, the way that we advance within ourselves, we are going to shift our perspectives to one way, shape or form. And I think it's important for us to really truly start by questioning ourselves before we jump in and provide a response. Because I think that's that will help us dissect so much more about who we are and why we gravitate towards the directions that we do. So, you know, I, I do believe inner child, though, really is that part of yourself, as I did mention kind of briefly already, the the playful, the imaginative, the creative, yeah. the connecting components of who you are to your core before the world flavored your perspective. Yeah, yeah. Because when you... When I think about it right now, as we're talking, I can remember the things I liked to do when I was a kid, some of them, and, you know, how it was purely enjoyable, you know, to be curious about that thing or to be 
immersed in that thing was not about any other aim, but just for what will happen or the experience, you know, just exploring, like being, being curious. And then I'm getting teary eyed too. So, Hey, <laughs> it will come out for me as well. So just bear with me. <laughs> but how beautiful for your inner child to have a space and a voice right now to be able to tap into that. That's so important because we've disconnected so much from ourselves in so many ways. And to the core, we've really disconnected from us, from ourselves deep down. Exactly. And that's the thing, I think, as we're trying to grow up and be a successful adult. Well, I was I was someone who was really, you know, when you say grow up too fast in that way of like being mature for my age, I can I thought of two things when you said that one is wanting to not be powerless which we treat children, I mean, they, they are dependent, but they don't have to be powerless or disempowered. But it is kind of the parenting, like, norm in our country to disempower children. No, you're going to do what I say. We're going where I want to go. We're doing what I want. It's about the parents' wants and needs, including survival needs, you know. But the other part is sort of like all the pains and hardships along the way of getting to being on your own, which for me, I was at 17, is like, you know, you can't do that stuff anymore. Like, you know, you know, that's survival. So now I am getting really emotional. So sorry about that. But thank you. I think it's so important for us to show our human side, to normalize the human experience and to not apologize for having feelings. (laughs) And again, the fact that we're able to tap into this aspect of ourself is huge and it it does bring up a lot for us it really does because think about this disempowerment that you were talking about when did you have to shove yourself down and lock yourself away and when you finally have the ability to open that and it has a voice finally after how long of course that's going to bring up emotions yeah And I think it's really beautiful, just all that you do for the field and to be able to model that, because I am confident that people listening are going to be able to not only tap into their own inner selves, their own inner child, also to see you allowing yourself to be vulnerable will help them feel more safe to be vulnerable, because that's the human experience. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. And that's why I'm not going to edit that part out. You know, I could, but it's because I am, I know that when I talk to people who share from their most authentic experience that I feel more comfortable being my authentic self, even you, as we were talking before we started recording, you know, you sharing authentically puts you and I in this space together, both feeling more comfortable to be our authentic selves with each other, you know, even though we don't know each other very well. You know, we do, but we don't, right? <laughs> Helps us get to know each other even more. Exactly. Right? It's not just scratching the surface. It just, it's a deep dive. And being able to have the safe space to do so is so incredibly powerful. Because if we just scratch the surface, how much are we really getting at the concepts that we're talking about? Right? right. We can talk about it all day long. We can talk about perspective all day long. We can talk about inner child all day long. We can you know, get books out and and read all of the content and have the theories. That's super important. And the real work 
is in the deep dive, in the presence of a safe person, environment, whatever it may be. Right. Right. It's not telling the person in front of you in line at the grocery store all of the hurts that you've experienced in your life because they're listening and no one ever listens. (laughs) Right. Like, how are you doing? And then people respond as they're walking on by. Absolutely. I want to say there's been quite a few times where I've been very emotional in the presence of people that I'm leading and I feel naked. Mm -hmm. Like it's even though I express how important it is for us to be open and authentic, candid, vulnerable, it feels icky. Like even though we know logically Mm -hmm. that it's not, it's so hard to allow ourselves to just be human. I agree. And I do the same with my supervisees and people I consult with. It's like, if I want to encourage them to be their authentic selves in the work, which I feel is like the only way to actually keep, keep going in this field. You know, if you think that you have to have this mask and you can't be who you really are, it's going to, it's going to catch up with you at some point. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's been true for me. Like, this sort of, you know, I go into it, this wide open person. And I, and then while I'm in school, I'm being molded and shaped and I'm trying to, oh, oh, you know, that part won't fit here. That part won't fit here. Push those out. You can't show that. You can't be that. Or you won't be accepted as a professional. You know, you won't, it's unprofessional, whatever. But, but what, you know, as we were talking before, what, makes people feel comfortable to open up with me in therapy is that I, I mean, not that I'm perfect or anything, but I try to hold a space where I'm not presenting a perfect image that you are going to feel like you're way less than, and you can't show any, you know, like you have to curate what you can let people see and only the parts that, you know, seem acceptable enough, you know? Gosh. I feel all that you're saying so much. I've gotten chills. I've had moments internally. A couple things I want to reflect on with the essential message that you just provided. We learn as a field to provide this space for others. How come it's unprofessional for us to experience the same thing? Now, of course, I recognize that when we are doing the work, we are in a certain role. And I understand that there are boundaries and there are expectations. I understand all of that. And how interesting is it that by us doing exactly what we're encouraging clients to do, that's somehow viewed as not okay internally or collectively, I was also thinking when you were mentioning about parents, I think kind of parents having expectations of how to parent. You didn't say it that way, but that's the message I got from that. Where did that come from? How many times are we operating in a certain way because that's what society says? They, right? Whoever they are, they say we need to do X, Y, and Z. If I did everything that they said, I wouldn't be where I am today in terms of you know where my career is. And another thing I thought about this, I have little popcorn thoughts, I always say. So I love it. You're getting all the popcorn, everyone. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying. <laughs> Here's another little pop. Something that really stuck out to me is, is honestly one of my favorite parts of the book, which is in, it's the very end of the preface. And I want to read it. It's two paragraphs, mm. but it's, it encapsulates exactly what we're talking about. And it is a huge message that I 
I want readers to get out of the book. Now, of course, I want to say with that, different people get different things out of everything, right? That's perspective. Different people are going to get different things out of the book. Different people are going to get different things out of our conversation. Take what resonates and leave the rest. Yes. And this this really is the message. So it's just so beautiful that we are here in our conversation. And like this continues to be the theme that emerges with being human and with understanding one another's perspective and and really understanding reality. So it is essential for us to realize that things are not always as they seem. Perspective is not synonymous with absolute reality. I liken the statement to the scene of the man behind the curtain in the film The Wizard of Oz. The focus of the story is on Dorothy and three characters she stumbles upon during her travels, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the cowardly lion, who are journeying down the yellow brick road to reach Emerald City. They believe reaching this destination will help them to obtain their deepest desires. Dorothy in finding her way back home, the scarecrow in acquiring a brain, the tin man in gaining a heart, and the cowardly lion in obtaining courage. Emerald City represents their idealistic goal or aspiration. Shortly after the arrival to the city, the group witnesses this seemingly frightening wizard, initially a large hologram head behind flames, transform to a distressed man scrambling behind a curtain, contorting reality through machines and making things appear in a manner that he wants them to be perceived, a complete illusion. They ultimately learn that the Wizard of Oz is just fabricating a scary persona as the great, powerful, and all-knowing ruler. I find this to be an eye-opening metaphor. What is being presented to us is not necessarily reality. The more we uncover the more we realize that we are all just humans scrambling behind the curtain. This text aims to enlighten and awaken us to that which lies behind the curtain. Mm, I love that. And I, we opened the curtain immediately here, <laughs> which is beautiful because I think that's so important. We don't want to just talk about the concepts and let's give you all the information that you need to know. No, like be, let's be human. Let's be, let's be real in this space because that's going to hit so much harder for each of us and truly allow us to lean into who we are and truly see other people for who they are. That point, that point, seeing other people for who they are too is really important. It's really, really important that we learn to connect. And I say learn, it's unlearned. We have to reconnect with our inner self. And when we're there, from there, we can see other people as they really are. But when we're presenting a false self, we see other people and their false self and think that's what's real. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah. this is getting a little weird now. It's like, oh, I like meta. it. <laughs> I like it. We went there. <laughs> Here we are. But it's, it's so true. How many times do we present ourselves in a certain way to convince others that we have it all together when we feel like the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And I have to say, first of all, so many thoughts like you with the popcorn, but one, I'm going to have to read the wizard of Oz again, but two, that was, that was a favorite book series and movie that I watched like compulsively as a child. And three, that the, that it feels like all the characters, you know, almost represent like parts of self and four that the, Spoiler alert for anyone who's never seen or read The Wizard of Oz, but the the wizard reveals, you know, when they finally get to him and he gives the, you know, 
he tells them that basically they already had everything they were looking for inside of them the whole time. And then Dorothy says, so can you get me back home? And he says, I'm, I'm lost too. I was on my hot air balloon and it crashed here. I don't know how to get back either. So, you know, that the idea, this is giving me chills. Like the idea that the guru behind the curtain is like, I don't know any more than you do about this. And at the same time, they came together and they did get back. So that's part of it, too. It's like, you know, Dorothy thought she was lost. She found them, this ragtag group. And, you know, they let her, well, I mean, one by one. And then they became a group and then they made this journey. So, yeah, there's a lot of metaphors in this. But it was in their collective effort that things worked out in the end, too. So, of course, that's, you know. There's an end and it was a happy ending. Like every, it has to stop somewhere, but in life, it's a journey. This is our continuous journey, self-discovery and reconnection to self and others. Absolutely. And I love you highlighting the fact that it was a collaborative effort. We as humans have thrived as a species over time because of our reliance on one another. And there's so much of a divide now where people are convinced by their position and it's really hard for them to see, understand, lean into another person's perspective or position and are less willing to actually jump in and, and listen to somebody else's experience because they're convinced my experience is the ultimate experience and whatever you're telling me is actually wrong, right? And that's, that's detaching us from one another even further. And making this process, this collaborative process, so much more challenging, thus resulting in more conflict, feeling stuck, feeling inferior, questioning ourselves, all of these isolating statements, really. And we can go into this whole area. I'll just scratch the surface here, but our nervous systems then become activated. Right. When we are able to lean in and connect with one another, we have co regulation. We're able to feel more calm, feel safer on a biological level. When we feel disconnected from one another, we feel like we're a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. Our nervous system inevitably is going to be activated because if we're thinking about it from a biological standpoint, if we were placed into the wild alone as a human and we are confronted with danger, that's not good. <laughs> Right. Like that's not good. That's that can ultimately lead to death for us. And so even though when our nervous systems are activated now and it's not like we're out in the wild by ourselves, there is still a similar biological response that occurs. And we have similar extreme reactions internally as a result. So I can go, you know, venture down there. I'll pause there for now. But I think that's important to also keep in mind on a biological level how this is impacting us when we are disconnected, when we don't feel heard, seen, understood, and and ultimately valued as, as people and, and validated. I agree. Yes. And I mean, the piece about co-regulation stood out to me because, you know, there's a lot of talk in our field right now about nervous system regulation. Children just need to get regulated. They're dysregulated. If you're upset, you're dysregulated. If you're if you're having a trauma response, you're dysregulated. And then what you need to do is get regulated again. 
And you mentioned co-regulation. I think that anybody who's been, well, where we hear about that normally is like parents, if you want to help your kids be, I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to say calm, behave, compliant, but if you want if you want to have satisfying relationships with your kids, co-regulation is what helps their nervous system develop in the way that is optimal for our human functioning, to be able to be relational. But people think, we all think, well, you know, I just need to make my kid be regulated. But not seeing that the parent's dysregulation impacts the child's nervous system. So I think it would be Really nice if you could just talk a little bit about those those concepts for people who are listening, because, you know, I feel like there's this I don't want to go too far off. I just sort of asked you to do something and now I'm going to say something else. But there's like this thing going on I'm observing where people seem to be kind of like teaching nervous system regulation in a mechanical way that's not relational. And it's missing the co-regulation piece. So it's like, oh, if you feel activated, do this to make it go away, you know, to to bring it down, to down-regulate or up-regulate if you're shut down. And I, those things are valuable, but there's a way that it's so detached from humanity that feels really off to me. And I'm wondering, you know, if you can explain why the co-regulation piece is an important aspect. Yes, It's nervous system to nervous system connection, and it's truly feeling seen, heard, and understood. So the nervous system to nervous system could be through any of the senses. I think touch tends to be a pretty common direction, right? So hugs or something more touch-related to actually calm like the physical sensations of our bodies. And there's research out there that supports you know, the the nervous system regulation when it comes to touch. And that's also um, sprinkled a little bit in the book too. Oh, good. So that's one direction that I'm I'm thinking. The other thing, as I mentioned, people wanting to feel seen, heard, and understood, that really boils down to perspective. How many times do humans, and I'll say for this specific discussion, children, because that's what we were talking about in terms of co-regulation with caregivers. How many times are children's experiences invalidated what do you have to worry about? You're just insert whatever they're dealing with, right? It's dismissed time and time and time again, because we as adults, or as our own individuals are operating from our perspective. So there's a lot of comparison inevitably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, My issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. 
I have to deal with this and this and this. You're just dealing with that. How invalidating. If there is something that's a huge like deal. Like a kid who's throwing a fit because they wanted a happy meal. And the parents yeah. are like, get over it. Right. You're entitled. You're spoiled. Right. Right. And I want to say that's not to negate the parents' feelings, right? right. You're feeling valid too. Yes. Right. And if we pause and actually understand another person's perspective, how come they are responding in this manner? What is going on for their mind and body? Mm-hmm. What's truly occurring here that will help us lean into their perspective then they will genuinely start to feel heard and seen that will regulate them when we're constantly invalidated as humans and children invalidated for their experiences does that ever make anyone feel cozy and happy and regulated no like if i'm we explain- learn to shut down that need or that want and that feeling so that we can stay connected with the the parent and then we internalize an idea that it's wrong to want that or that I'm too much or whatever we internalize based on how the parent responded you know absolutely what the situation was the inner child just opened the door and welcomed all that other stuff in there now that's shoved in there too right then now mm-hmm. the door is re- relocked so then people but again, for, for the instance of what we're talking, or for, you know, the matters of what we're talking about right now, then the child starts to invalidate themselves. And they start to tell themselves that things that matter to them don't matter anymore. Because now I've received the message that this doesn't matter, even though it was a big deal to me. And that results in a host of problems internally and for children externally, behavior problems, emotional challenges. And so that's very dysregulating, right? <laughs> it's very dysregulating. So being able to truly support a child or a human in general, where they are, really seeing things through their lens is helpful. Now, I do want to say it's really hard for us to actually see through another person's lens because inevitably we are viewing it from our lens, mm-hmm. right? Like even if we're thinking about our own childhoods, we can remember different things or we can recount stories you mentioned an experience not too long ago about your childhood where we can all think back to different things. I should say for the most part, we can. I know that there are some instances where it's a little harder for us to connect to our childhoods for one reason or another. But even when we're looking back into our younger years, we're viewing it from our current perspective. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times there's a disconnect between truly understanding where things were then with how we understand things now. Mm-hmm. And so that's another disconnect when it comes to adults and children. Well, yeah, I see. I see where you're coming from. Yes, maybe. And you also have all this other stuff that you have developed over decades that inevitably is going to have, have you see things in a different way and truly seeing this is what they're seeing. And they don't have the context that you have. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same experiences that you have. So trying to to see where they are, allowing them to have a voice, whether that's quite literally being able to express it verbally or through play or other expressive communicative means so that they can convey how they're feeling, what they're thinking, and then being able to be validated in the process. So I really think that is the true co-regulation experience. It's not just the mechanical Let's hug and let's do some deep breathing together. While that's helpful, nervous system to nervous system, it goes beyond that. It's all the unspoken messages 
as well. And the ways that we continue to connect to one another that will ultimately have the long-term results that they do. Co-regulation is not a one-time occurrence or, you know, oh, you're dysregulated right now. Let's have some co-regulation. You're dysregulated now. Let's have some co-regulation. It's being able to be co-regulated pretty consistently, even when you, quote, don't need it. And I say that because we can all benefit from co-regulation always. But what I mean by when you don't need it is maybe not when you're having an emotionally intense experience, like even when you're calm. It's this consistent message because then it doesn't feel genuine if it's just here and here and here. So that's my long-winded response to that question. (laughs) Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. That's wonderful. I really appreciate what you shared and the part about taking, taking another person's perspective or trying to is really thought provoking too, because as you said, I am, you know, a product of the time I was born in, the people who raised me, where I lived and and my experiences. And, you know, there's billions of people in the world. We have a lot of different experiences. So, you know, when we're like, why would they do that? It's like because they are them and you are you. Maybe you wouldn't do that. But it's, you know, we can be I guess that's just one of the ways that we try to keep ourselves safe is to try to predict where the danger is and avoid it, you know, and, and anything that's different triggers that fear, you know, other people's ways of doing things. Yeah. Anytime something new is introduced, it is scary because our nervous systems are wired for self-preservation protection. Yeah. So anytime there's something new and unfamiliar or there's a change, a transition in our life, whatever it may be, of course, that's going to activate us in uncomfy manners. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned a transition, that's something else that I wanted to touch upon in our time is one of the reasons why we we were going to talk. I wanted to have you on, especially when I saw that you had a book. I was like, oh, I know that it would be great for her to share about that on the podcast. But when talking, we found that in the same time frame, we both lost an important person in our families. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, if you're open to it, sort of the experience of, it goes back to what we were talking about kind of in the beginning, you know, being a human who's also a therapist and how as therapists, we often receive training. I hope it's changing that we are supposed to kind of not have problems 
as if we can somehow avoid being human. But, you know, working as a therapist, which is really a strong identity, it's like being a nurse. It's like you, you kind of, it's hard to turn it off when you're not working. But in other words, that identity informs, even if you're not trying to be people's therapist, when you're out in the world, you're thinking in that way. It's just, it's, it's very pervasive, or maybe that's a sign of burnout. <laughs> maybe I need it. Yeah. That's how you, how you're seeing the world, how you're going about the world. There still is that flavor of who you are as part of your identity. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. The perspective that I live through includes <laughs> my therapist identity and what I know about trauma. It's like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that experience of going through a loss and what that can bring up, especially when it's like a complicated type of grief while being a therapist and trying to do that too. So yeah, I'm going to add another layer. I am expecting. Yes. So I, I am due in a month now and that's another layer on top of it. So being a human being a psychologist, losing my mom, it was my mom who died, and becoming a mom all in the same time frame and holding on to all of that at once. Pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Talk and about I, life transitions. There's a lot of life transitions in what you just said. Yeah. And other layers that I didn't really get into in the introduction, but I'm in a lot of different leadership positions too. So within my own practice, within the field, being a leader in a lot of different ways as well. So I wear a lot of hats and take on a lot of roles. And yeah, be, holding on to everything simultaneously is a lot. I will say one thing that I really made sure to honor within myself is to practice what I preach and to take the time off, to step away. I am a workaholic. And I became a workaholic from a young age because my mom has had health issues most of my life. And I learned to avoid emotional pain by pouring myself into that which I had control over. And I, this has taken a long time for me to realize a lot of therapy. Shout out to you, Angela, if you're listening. My therapist. You know, it's, it's taken a lot to, to gain this insight into who I am, to have the perspective that I have. I've had to unlearn a lot and recognize a lot. But, you know, ultimately realizing I needed to pause. You know, honestly, the day that my mom died was a day that one of my really good friend's daughters was having a first birthday party. And I said, I want to go to this party. I've, I want to see them. I don't want... I want to try to like live as normally as possible, right? And whatever that is, right? What's normal? Come on. That's, that's a whole other thing. Hmm. And my husband who knows me, and we're connected so deeply. He knows me so deeply. And he said, uh, you do what you want. And I don't think that's a good idea. He said, I know how you operate, right? To be called out in such a compassionate way on such a heavy day, I will forever, forever be grateful to him for that. Now here my tears come. So it's my turn. Okay. <laughs> I'll cry but, right with you. Yeah. And for him to say, your default has been to run away from your pain. I think you need to sit in it. And I I have in the corner of my room, my at home office, a little sand tray because I'm a plate therapist and I incorporate sand in my work. 
And I just sat on the floor and I poured all my little miniatures out and I just sifted through them and I made a tray. And I was just crying and crying and crying. And I was building the tray. And afterwards I said, yeah, I need to really allow myself to feel. I need to stop running away from the pain and allow myself to feel. In the moment, I didn't feel like I was running away from the pain, right? And that's why Mm. I said it took a lot of time for me to really reflect on that. I am someone who pours myself into my work. And so to have all of these different roles, to be going through all these different transitions and to tell myself, I need to pause. I really need to practice what I preach. I need to not default to how I have operated for decades, specifically to avoid the emotional pain with my mom's health struggles. So I think that being able to model that was so important and it was met with so much support and appreciation from other people for me modeling that. And that's why I really also wanted to sit in that space of appreciation for you earlier for modeling to everyone who's watching and listening. This is so important. You know, we feel like we have to have it all together, right? Like I have to show everyone that I got it. And it's like, it's okay to cry. You still got it. It's okay to pause. You still got it, right? You you don't have to present yourself in a certain way that you think people want you to be or that you've been told that you have to be because that's the way that we're supposed to operate. No, we're humans. We all have human emotions. Five out of five people have mental health. None of us are exempt from that. So I will say that by canceling supervisions and meetings, my team reached out and expressed appreciation for me modeling that, which was so beautiful. Not that I needed that. And transparency, my workaholic tendencies, you know, part of me is like, I need to show up for other people, right? Like I know they know, and I still got to show up. You know, with my clients, I didn't share too much, but you know, I'm a human and I I expressed that I had a, a significant loss close to me. And I actually had a client reach out and say, it is really nice. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? Because also of, of confidentiality reasons, but basically something along the lines of, it's really nice to see you doing exactly what we talk about because it shows me how important it is and how normal it is for us to do that. And that made me stop in my tracks. You know, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling these expectations. I need to be a certain way. I need to do certain things. And to hear that feedback of, wow, this modeling is really helpful for me. And you're actually helping me through the modeling, right? Like I'm all in my head. I want to be helpful. I want to be helpful. That is helpful. I can't let people down. I can't let people down. Yeah. By helping ourselves, it allows us to help other people. And then it shows people it's important that you help yourselves too, right? Something that I work on a lot is making sure that you're not putting yourself on the back burner. So I needed to do the same thing, but it's hard, right? Like I'm talking about all this and I know it's like rolling off the tongue more easily now in the moment though, Mm -hmm. it was really, really hard. And then I started learning, I need to take it day by day. And to add that layer of me being pregnant right now, I then started to feel so, he he just kicked by the way. So don't forget me. Yes, (laughs) excuse me. I started to worry about my emotional energy in my body and how that was impacting him. And so I needed to allow myself to feel because a lot of times we run away from the emotions 
thinking like, I, I can't deal with this right now. Or if I just push it aside, I, I can, I can move forward. I had it might to even sit- feel like it'll be better for the baby if I don't feel this. Yes. Right. And then I had to keep telling myself the exact messages that we're talking about here. I'm not going to shield him from normal human, human emotions. I'm, I'm not going to be able to, nor do I want to, because that's part of the human experience. So if I'm back to the co-regulation yeah. for real, if I'm experiencing this and then he's experiencing this, then we can work through this together through co-regulation. And I want to give a shout out to one of my colleagues who actually expressed that. Her name's Robin. And she expressed that in, to me. She reflected that back to me, how important it was for us, even within the form that we are right now, we are engaging in co-regulation in this ma- manner. And that was really helpful for me to remember in that moment that it's okay to feel, it's okay to sit in the feelings and we are connected in this this space and allowing it to move through us so we can move past it versus pushing it down, opening that door that that poor inner child just keeps opening the door for everything else. It gets shoved down there. Yeah. Right. And and then it just becoming a packed mess in there. So I don't know if I really answered it, but, you know, yeah. authentic journey with that. Oh, I'm so grateful for what you shared. And, and it feels like there was a, a really important piece I wanted to amplify in what you said, that the way that clients and supervisees, here I'll get teary-eyed again, express that they appreciated the modeling is an example of how they can trust you more because you did what you said. That's the thing with like children. It's it's about being who you say you are, not telling them do this, but then you're really doing that yourself. And so, you know, that makes, that can make children feel unsafe. But by you, I know that when I, even when I interact with another professional and I'm going to say this, I'm judging them when I do this and I have done it too. So I've done what I'm judging them for. So just full circle. But that's all times where the judgment comes from. Exactly. It's my projection, right? It's my projection. (laughs) I'm in the same boat, normalizing this experience. (laughs) (laughs) It's our own stuff. (laughs) It is. So, so when I'm like talking with someone who is, who talks about self-care and talks about being authentic and they're telling me, Oh yeah. You know, for example, something like, Oh yeah, I was robbed yesterday, but it's okay. We can still, you know, I can still work with you today. It's I'm, you know, it's like, Oh, you're not taking care of yourself. Oh. And then I feel a little bit less trusting in them, you know, and I can check myself and work with that. But what's that really about? But when, when we show ourselves in integrity with our own values through our actions, not just our words. That is when people see what makes them feel safe to be in relation with you. That's a co-regulating experience, right? And it's a dysregulating experience when it's, you know, it doesn't land right. It's like, huh, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be taking care of yourself. Should. I'm judging. Shoulding. Yeah. It also makes me think when we first connected to talk about perspective and just to connect. And we didn't realize that we were having a shared experience at that time. I remember we held space for one another mm-hmm. at that point too, right? Checking in, are you sure? Like this is, are you at a good place to meet? And ultimately it made more sense for us to meet later. And we both understood that and we're completely okay with that. 
Well, we got to add a piece in there. Come on. We got to tell the whole story. Well, I did check yeah. in with ourselves and said that we were both okay. And then yeah. I didn't put it on the calendar and you showed up and I wasn't there. So I wasn't really okay, even though I was telling myself I was, because that's why I forgot to put it on the calendar. So, you know, but I was stumbling along. I was doing the best I could. I'm being compassionate about that. But thanks for not calling me out. <laughs> but the message, and not but, and. The and, universe gave the message that I wasn't. <laughs> that's the thing. And well, actually, I think that adds another layer that's a good thing to highlight in just a moment as well. The message is is true, though, right, that like we really checked in with one another and it didn't end up working out at that time. And that was OK. We held the space for one another. Like in that moment, it also helped me reflect on, is this the best time and space for me? Because I know even when we were trying to schedule it, we both were like, let's see how it goes. That like, I'm doing things day by day, which aligns with what we were just talking about. You know, we we have to allow ourselves to be in the moment. And to see where we feel on any given time, grief is complicated. We might be fine, quote unquote, fine, whatever that is, right? But we might be fine one day and be a complete puddle the next day and then, you know, feel regulated the next day. Even different points throughout the day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Exactly. But but absolutely. And then I I forget the other part that I was going to say, but fine messages conveyed so there we go well thank you thank you for bringing that up and yes we were we were compassionate and open with each other you 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 shared your experience and you didn't have to share that and I know I'd said we would stop at a certain time and we've gone a little past that do you still have a few more minutes that we could talk just a little bit more about the book itself because you know, you've given people a taste, but I want people who are listening to really be able to get a sense of how this book could be useful and interesting to them and for you to be able to share more about the gifts that it holds. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. So tell us about it. It's called Perspective. Yeah. So ultimately, I mean, I'm sure you all have a flavoring of of at least some of what it's about based on our conversation, because it's been sprinkled throughout. Ultimately, it helps us understand more about who we are, where we see ourselves within the world, understanding self and others. The book is broken into three sections. The first section is called Origins. Origins goes into just understanding what does perspective and perception even mean? What is that? And then it goes into psychological development. So for those who are listening who are in the psychology field, it's a lot of what we learned about in development. Through, you know, our senses, we start to develop an understanding of the world and then through, you know, observational learning, you know, behavior, behavior related things, I'll say, you know, for a nice little summation there. But how we learn, how we start to develop an idea of where we fit within the world and what is even going on in the world. And then I also talk about neuroscience from an easily digestible manner. So how our brains differ in terms of structure and function and how that influences how we see things. So that's the first section. The second section is called Reflecting Inward, and that's more focused on how we see ourselves, how we've learned about ourselves, the messages that we keep telling ourselves. And one of the biggest pieces of information that I like to highlight with that is we often 
receive messages about who we are from other people. How many times are we receiving other people's projections? Other people are placing their own stuff outward mm-hmm. and we absorb it and we then believe it's us. So really it's figuring out how can we, as you said, unlearn, which is part of that learning process so that we can relearn who we really are. Can I just then, amplify the point, a point about that? Yeah, please. I just feel like in life we think we this is just me. This is just who I am. This is how I am. And and we don't realize how much of the way we see ourselves really is based in positive and negative experiences we've had in relationships from birth that influence why we see ourselves that way. Like there's a I think there's a you that's always there, but these the parts of you that are acceptable and not acceptable to people are the ones that end up usually being the most prominent in your, you know, perception of who you are and the things that are you, but someone didn't like, or it wasn't safe for some reason for someone to allow you to do that become, you know, these fragmented, detached parts of ourselves. This aligns perfectly with exactly what we were talking about, the inner child. I think it was beyond just the inner child, but it's that part of ourself that we have had to push aside who we truly are, what we truly love and align with and those passions, what brings us fulfillment. And again, that transforms through time. And those messages that were silenced really serves as a nice foundation of who we truly are before the world told us something different. Yes. Now, granted, some of what we are passionate about was also learned, right? So, I mean, it's it's very complicated. And we have less filters when we are first absorbing information about the world and trying to exert our independence. And that's a developmental stage as well, having autonomy and independence. And how is that nurtured? Or how is that altered? And that starts to transform who we are. So, yeah, absolutely. Which the that chapter you know, trying to enhance our awareness of who we are really goes into some of those messages. That section also reflecting inward goes into how we see others and how others see us. And so we did talk about that a little bit. Ultimately, we see a sliver of other people and and that sliver really most times is what other people deliver to us, right? Like a little pizza, right? We have a little, a little slice of pizza that we're enjoying and there's a lot within the pizza, right? The whole, the whole pie that we're not really aware of. And, and some of it is for impression management. Some of it is because there are things that are private and personal to us. And some of it is, you know, just our, our, well, I guess it's impression management too, but I said our, our choice. And I also go into philosophy, you know, just philosophical ponderings, reflecting on humans in general, the questions that we ask about who are we? Where are we? Why are we the way we are? Right. And so just kind of having some philosophical insights into reflecting inward. And then the third section is called rebuilding the foundation. And that has a huge social reform framework and truly understanding other people's perspectives, trying to, right? We're never going to fully understand another person's perspective because we're always going to have ours to flavor our perspective of their perspective. <laughs> How many times can I say perspective? <laughs> I told y'all you'd be hearing a lot about it and I wasn't kidding. 
Dan, watch this back. Listen to this back and then tally. <laughs> Let us know in whatever comments how many times we say perspective. <laughs> but ultimately, how can we have a cohesive perspective? How can we bring all of the different viewpoints to the table and have that amplify or expand our collective perspective versus being so con, con say conditioned, but like so, I don't know the right word, but like so adamant about where we are and what we're seeing that we are missing so much. Constrained. The, yeah. More, there's a quote on the back of the book that I love, which is why it's on, on the cover. <laughs> Underneath this reality in which we live and have our being, another altogether different reality lies concealed. Mm. So there are so many things that we don't realize. And if we are unwilling to realize it, we're going to continue to have blind spots and ignorances. And the thing about ignorance is we're ignorant to the ignorances. The thing about blind spots is we're blind to the blind spots. We don't even realize that they're there. So the more we're able to enhance our understanding of others, the, the more we're going to be able to really see. I will say also something that's really helpful within the book is at the end of every chapter, there are five reflective questions that pertain to the information within that particular chapter. It's all to have you think and reflect inward a bit more to understand not just the concepts, but how they apply to you and how that can help you continue to grow as, as you. Oh, I love it. And I think it's so incredible that you made this and I'm grateful that you did. It feels like something, I don't want to go overboard, but it feels like something that really could enhance our connection to self and sort of like encourage more of a vibrant kind of rich exploration of life. Absolutely. How many times do we walk blindly and we don't even realize? How many times are we operating in a certain way because that's what we've been told? That's tradition, that's society, that's expectation. It's just how things are. Yeah. And how many times do we not question that? Probably more times than we realize. I know. I know. And the more I see other people's perspectives, I see how limited my own perspective is. And, you know, sometimes that can be overwhelming, but it's also a gift to... It's like if you're the fish inside the aquarium and you're like, oh, there's a wall? I thought this was the thing. I thought this was the whole thing. Absolutely. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. So, Rachel, where can people find your beautiful book and all of the amazing things that you're doing? I will say Amazon is the easy peasy lemon squeezy way to get the book. It is in process of being placed other places but I will just say Amazon is honestly the easiest and at this time and to get in contact with me I have a beacons page so beacons is like link tree if anyone's familiar with that but ultimately it's a website where you can connect a bunch of different links to it for easy access so it's beacons b-e-a-c-o-n-s dot a-i slash doc vader D-O-C-V-A-T-E-R. And when you go there, you can connect with all of my social medias. You can find the book, a link to the to access the book. 
I also write chapters for scholarly works, mostly in the digital mental health realm. So I have all of those links attached there. When I have trainings that are coming up, I will put those links there. And yeah, so you can get all the doses of me that you want in one one fell swoop. That's amazing. And I'll I'll link to both the Beacons page, which I had never heard of before. So thank you. And your Amazon link to the book. And I just really want to thank you for sharing yourself with our audience today and and for what you do and the book, and what you're birthing, all the things you birth. <laughs> Popping things out here and there, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. It just, I so deeply appreciate this heartfelt connection and just you as a human. And I feel so grateful to be here, like here with you, right? And with everyone that's listening and just grateful to be here, you know, just in general in my life and in my career and just in all of the, all of the ways. So thank you. I'm absorbing the messages and the love and the compassion. And I'm sending it right back to you and back to everyone listening and just back out into this world. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest today, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached to see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.